Well, I pray that your heart is prepared as mine has been with those songs to worship God now as we open his Bible and we understand more about him. We thank you, team, for leading us so faithfully, pointing us to Christ in the songs that we sing, for sure. Turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 12 of Matthew, the book of Matthew. That's where we'll be this morning. And you turn to Matthew and you, you're not going to expect, I don't want to throw a curveball here, you're not expecting a sermon on Jonah from the book of Matthew, but we are going to finish once and for all. We're going to put this capstone on this study in Jonah that we've been doing for the last five weeks. This will be the sixth week because we have to see what is said about Jonah in chapter 12 of Matthew and who said it. So we're going to go there in a minute, but let me, let me just kind of rehash where we've been. In Jonah, we have looked into the life of a man. And I've said all along in these sermons that really we've looked into a mirror. Because this man, Jonah, is you and is me. He, he is us. We identify with him very, very closely. And I think we've seen that in each of our points of application through the last five weeks. In Jonah, we're tempted to look into the life, into the, the mind, the heart of this man to understand what he is like. But that's not the right way to go about looking at the book of Jonah. We don't need to concern ourselves with really who is Jonah and what he's like. What we really need to consider is who is God? What is God like? And that's what we see in Jonah. We get a lot of details about God. So anytime we approach the Bible, I don't care where you're reading in the Bible, you always need to go with the approach of, God, will you show me in this time of reading what you're like? That's how we come to the Bible. We need to understand Abraham and Moses. God uses men like that and Sarah and, and Hagar and Rahab. He uses people in their biographies, yes, but he uses those to show us who he is. And so let's always go to the Bible saying, God, show me you what are you like fill in these gaps that I have in my theology about you my study of you and that's what we need to do as we come to the book of Jonah the Bible the entire Bible cover to cover is about God it's not about anything else it's about God it's his revelation to us and when we go and say merely what is Jonah like man we're selling ourselves way short because you know what we really don't know what Jonah's like. We know very little about the man Jonah other than what he has given us in his autobiography in this book. But there are huge questions about this man and his identity and who he is and what happened to him after Jonah chapter 4 that we simply do not get answers to. But watch this. When we say what is God like and we look at the book of Jonah, we see some massive, massive truths. We see that God is a God who cares about all people. He cared to the extent that Nineveh, this evil city, needed a messenger to go warn them and turn them to repentance. We see that God is, is about controlling all the elements of nature. And he caused wind to, to, to build up a storm. He caused waves to toss a ship. He even had a fish right there to catch Jonah at the right moment. And he raised up a plant, and then he called a worm. We see God is sovereign over all things, in nature even. 
we see that Jonah in, cha in chapter 2 says that God is one, the one who brings about salvation. It's not something a man does to another man. It's something God does to a person. And we see that God is not a God who holds grudges. We see that God is not a deal maker. And we see that God is people-oriented, not task-oriented. He pursued Jonah. He wasn't just about saving the Ninevites. He was about molding the heart of Jonah to conform to his will. We saw all these things about God. We saw ultimately that God is a God of amazing grace. Amazing grace. Jonah could be subtitled Amazing Grace. Because <laughs> it's amazing that God would shower Nineveh with such grace, the sailors on that ship with such grace, and this defiant fugitive named Jonah with such amazing grace. So when we come to Jonah and we just say, what is Jonah like? We're going to get some facts and they're going to be very limited, and they're really not going to change our lives. In fact, if we just go to Jonah and say, who is he and what is he like? At the end, I, I think we might say, well, I'm glad I'm not like Jonah. See, that doesn't do anything for us. But when we go and we ask, who is God and what is God like? We walk away and we say, wow, I am not like God, but I'm thankful that God is like he's revealed himself to be in Scripture. And that revelation that we get changes lives. It'll change your life. If you read the Bible and say, who are you, God? And he shows you. It'll change your life. And it'll change it for eternity. Not just now. So, knowing a lot about God will change our lives. Knowing a lot about Jonah won't. And we always need to approach Scripture saying, God, reveal to me more about you in this encounter in your world. As I started five weeks ago, this study of Jonah that we're going to finish for sure today, I want to reiterate a very important truth that I spoke about that very first Sunday. And that is this concept of the gospel and the question, who is the gospel for? And I'm telling you this morning, the gospel, I'm going to almost reiterate everything I said five weeks ago. The gospel is for two people. And this room is full of two people. There's not a third type. The gospel first is for non-Christians. God gave us the gospel, the truth that Jesus died in our place and rose from the dead, and if we believe in him, we will be saved from our sins and we will live with him forever. That is the gospel, and the gospel was intended for lost people, for people that do not know Jesus Christ, that are not Christians. And it is the means, and the only means that God brings people to himself is through Jesus Christ, his son. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through him. So the gospel is for unbelievers. But secondly, the gospel is for Christians. If you remember, I said, the gospel is not something that we graduate from. We don't receive the gospel and check into the Christian world and check into the church, and now we leave the gospel and we go to bigger and more important things. No, every Sunday... And every Wednesday and every time we meet in coffee shops and restaurants, we need to be washing each other with the gospel and refreshing the gospel truths in our lives because it is the gospel that God uses to also keep us Christians. When God saves us, the beautiful scripture says we cannot be snatched out of his hand. And the means for, by which God keeps us in his grip, obedient and faithful to him, is by continually reminding us of the gospel and washing us with its truth. 
And Jonah had a moment. Why do I put all this labor into talking about the Gospels for Christians as well? Jonah is a Hebrew, a God-fearer, and he disobeyed God and he fled and he ran as far away from him as he possibly could. Jonah needs the Gospel. Jonah needs God perpetually calling him to be obedient and faithful to him. And so there's these points in our life where, where God is calling us to be obedient and to follow him, and with the gospel, we are able to do so. Let me give you some examples. God calls businessmen and women to conduct transactions in a fair and equitable way. I like to say this, a good business deal is where both parties are benefited and God is glorified. A, a bad business deal is when I win heavily and I rake you over the coals and you suffer because you got sunk into something you didn't bargain for. That's a bad business deal in the kingdom of God. God calls us to do equitable deals that are good for both parties for the glory of him. And so we need to not run from God's design for business and be self-centered in our business transactions. We need to be God-centered in our business transactions. And when God calls us to do that, yet we run and serve self with business, we're Jonah. We're Jonah. And we're fleeing from worshiping him and obeying him and what he would have us to do in the lives of other people. Here's another example. How about giving of our time, talent, and treasure in the kingdom of God? God calls us to give our time to him, and that's not merely coming this morning to worship him. He calls us to give our time in discipling our families, our time in evangelizing the lost, our time in encouraging foreign missionaries that we have come through here every now and then. And when we don't give him that time, we're fleeing from him. And we have a God that we've seen in Jonah that's going to pursue us and say, come over here and give me this time. And he does the same thing with serving in the church. He does the same thing with giving of our financial resources to the church. And incidentally, when we give, we're not funding Rocky Point Baptist Church. We're funding the kingdom of God as that money is sent out of here because we're not hoarders of great amounts of cash. We're worshiping God by giving back to him what he's blessed us with so that his kingdom can be furthered. And when we run from even that task, when we run from that and de deny that, we're being Jonah for the moment. And God's pursuing us and saying, come back here. Do this for me. It will be good for you, and it will bring glory to me. One last one. How about marriage? God calls a man and a woman to be united in marriage, and what he has brought together, let no man separate. God never prescribes divorce in a marriage he never will command someone and call someone to go get a divorce and yet when someone does that they're being Jonah in that moment and they're running away from what God has for them in this marriage and I pray that God will hunt those people down with the amazing grace that he hunted Jonah down and say come back here stay in this marriage for my glory and for your benefit it will be good for you trust me we could go on and on and on applying Jonah to our lives in very simple, real-life situations. I just gave you three. We could do that all afternoon because Jonah is us. We are Jonah, and Jonah is very real in application, very rich in application to our lives. So now we come to this text in Matthew chapter 12. What's going on here? Well, when we first started we saw that Jonah is first mentioned in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. And he was called to prophesy to Israel about some things Israel was to do to strengthen its border 
on, and it was the very border that the Ninevites were on, the Assyrian nation was on. Then we jumped in and we looked at Jonah chapters 1 through 4, and now today we're going to give Jesus the last word on Jonah, because Jesus uses Jonah to explain a very, very important truth about himself. And so here we are, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. Let's just read, it's a brief passage, we'll read through verse 41. Let me read that, and then we'll jump in and look at it verse by verse. Now, to set the context, we need to be in context before we jump into the middle of Matthew here, right? So to set the context, Jesus has just performed a miracle. There's a demon-possessed man, man that he heals. He casts the demon out in the front of the very scribes and Pharisees that are now questioning him, okay? And prior to this, Jesus has taught and he's healed, he's made blind people see, lame people walk, people that can't speak now speak, okay? All of that has happened in the, in, in the front of these scribes and these Pharisees. And now listen to these guys. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. <laughs> what? We wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We need to know what this means. If Jesus links himself to this fugitive prophet, we need to connect the dots and understand what's taking place here. And so let's do that. Starting first of all, verses 38 and 39, we see these scribes and Pharisees demanding a sign. This is very problematic. This is troubling for sure. It is an absolute rejection of God's revelation to them in the form of Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine? They are face to face with Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this is God himself, his self-revelation in the form of his Son, face to face. And they say smugly, we need, we need a sign. Give us a sign, Jesus. They've just seen healings. They've just heard amazing teaching, Sermon on the Mount. The crowds were astonished at the end of the Sermon on the Mount because this guy, Jesus, taught like no one else. He taught with authority, not like the scribes. He taught with authority, and he healed people. And here they're saying, we need a sign. This after they had witnessed so much. The Pharisees, if you look through the text of the Bible, in the Gospels they're always asking Jesus for yet another sign they are never satisfied with the signs that they didn't demand and Jesus is not a on-demand sign giver by the way every sign he gave was under the sovereign direction of God the Father for a purpose so no man can command a trick out of Jesus and him do it every sign had a purpose and here Jesus is gonna point them to a sign in the past you know, people do this today. I, I can think of a time in my life when I did this, where I go, Father, if, if you would just show me something to confirm this, I'll do it. 
That, that's a scribe and a Pharisee moment in my life. If you'll just give me a dream, can I, can I just dream tonight, God, and you confirm in my dream that I'm to do that, and then I'll go do it. Father, would you just have someone come speak a word to me, a prophetic word at the right moment. If you'll just do that, then I'll know it's for sure your will, and I'll go do it. Father, would you align circumstances in my life? And if you'll just connect these dots and line these things up and all the planets get in the right circulation, then I'll go do it. We're demanding a sign. And you know what? Jesus could say to us the same thing he said to these scribes and Pharisees. The sign's already been given. The sign is right here. You want a sign from God, you jump right into the Bible and you read his self-revelation to you and me. This is all we need. We don't need planets lining up. We don't need people speaking. We don't need dreams. We need this. Because God has revealed his will to us here and only here. So these scribes and Pharisees, they're not satisfied with what they've witnessed in Jesus. And there's times in our lives when we're not satisfied with these black characters on this white page. And I'm telling you, these are real, live, living words. And we need to eat this. Take this in because this is God's best revelation to us. Better than a dream. Better than a broken prophetic word from someone else. How do you know they're not prophesying in the name of the evil one? <laughs> Circumstances happen. You're leaving it to chance. No, God is clear right here. This is his will for us in his life. So we need to be careful and we need to be willing to embrace God's word as his ultimate revelation. And this thing is better than a dream. This is better than a circumstance, and this is better than a prophetic word. Look at verse 40. Jesus says, you want a sign? Here's the sign. It's the sign of Jonah, the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I've got a favorite, I've got a lot of favorite passages in the Bible. I, I got to quit saying this, and I got to quit saying that too. There, I love Luke twenty four twenty seven. I love this passage, and I I use this passage especially when I read the Old Testament. And Jesus, it's the road to Emmaus. It's these two disciples. They're down in the dumps because their Savior died and was buried, and they think we just followed, we just got duped. He's not the Messiah after all. And Jesus encounters them. They don't recognize him. And finally it says in, in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he began to interpret the Old Testament scriptures and show himself in those passages. Don't you love that? Jesus encounters two disciples and he says, let me tell you about me. And he goes to the Old Testament. Well, that's literally what Jesus is doing here with these scribes and these Pharisees. He's saying, you want a sign? You want something to confirm me as who I proclaim to be? That sign is found in a little prophetic book in the Old Testament written by Jonah. I'm not going to give you a new one. It's already been given. So here we have truth, the truth that the Old Testament is not void of Christ. It is about Christ, and it points to Christ. The whole Bible and the revelation of God is Christ-centered. From Genesis 1 all the way through Malachi 3. It's all about Jesus. It points us to Jesus. And so here Jesus says, I'm, here's the sign for you. Just like he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights 
in the heart of the earth. Jesus here gives a clear, clear anticipation of his death and his burial and mainly his resurrection. It's clear right here. You remember when uh, we were in John and at the wedding of Cana and Mary comes and says, they've run out of wine, Jesus. And Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That hour, as I explained then, is the moment that he will hang on a cross and die. And throughout John, there's four other occasions in the book of John, chapter 5, chapter 8, chapter 13, and chapter 17, where we see this hour referenced over and over again. No one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And Jesus then in John 17 prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son so that the Son might glorify you. So this hour, this certainty of Jesus' death is shown to us here in Matthew because he says there's going to be three days that I'm going to be in the belly of the earth and then I'm going to come out of it. So he knows. He's not caught by, caught by surprise. He anticipates this certain death and this most certain resurrection on the third day. And what he gives here is a cryptic sign that has a future manifestation. It's going to be manifest in the future, this sign. And you're going to look at it and you're going to understand it retrospectively. Because this is like Jesus in John chapter 2 when the, when the Pharisees say to him, you remember he cleans out the temple courts with a whip and he runs all the cattle and everybody out of there and says, you shall not make my house a house of commerce. And they say to him, do you remember? They said, what sign do you do this by? Here we go with the sign language again. And Jesus says what? You destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. It's the same thing he's saying here in Matthew to these guys. There's three days. And on that third day, there's going to be a serious resurrection. It's going to blow your mind. And you're going to understand it retrospectively now that when you look back and remember my words. Well, that's what he's doing here. So now I want to show you if he says he links himself to Jonah, I want to show you, I've got eight, and they're going to go fast. We're going to pop through these real quick. I've got eight comparisons and contrasts of Jesus to Jonah that we can gather. And here we go. Let me jump in. First one. It was by grace that God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Nineveh is an evil, wicked city. And it's just amazing that God would even say, I want to go warn these people that they're going to be smoked if they don't change by grace that he did that likewise it's by grace that God sent his son to walk on this earth to bring about salvation for you and me because we've done evil in the sight of the Lord as well so both of these men are sent on a mission and that mission is rooted in the grace of God number two Jonah this is a contrast Jonah went begrudgingly to Nineveh right first command he ran and then in chapter 3, it starts with the greatest words ever, and the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Grace. And the deal didn't change. I need you getting over to Nineveh. I've got a message for him. And so he went. But we know from last Sunday he went with a bad heart, didn't he? We know that his heart wasn't right. He went through the motions, but he didn't rejoice and worship God as he did it. So he went begrudgingly. Jesus came to earth and died for us willingly big contrast right Jonah number three ran from the Ninevites Jesus ran to the cross let me give you two scriptures to support that in Luke 9 51 
When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face for that cross, and he started the march. He ran to the cross. Jonah ran from Nineveh. Here's another one, Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, we are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He looked at the cross with joy because he knew what it would mean for you and me and a multitude of other people. And he despised the shame of that cross, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God because he was resurrected on the third day. Number four, Jonah was sacrificed. When was Jonah sacrificed in, in the book of Jonah? When they pitched him over into the sea. Chapter 2, chapter 1, on the boat. Jonah is thrown into the sea, and only then are the sailors saved. They're saved from the perils of the storm and drowning themselves, but we also saw that they worshipped Yahweh. They were saved because one man died, so, so to speak. It was not a literal death, but they sacrificed him for the benefit of many. Well, tie that to Jesus. Jesus dies. Jesus the one dies for the multitudes. So see how they're a lot alike. How about chapter number five? Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, which he calls in his book Sheol. And Jesus rose from the belly of the earth on the third day. And both had this time in their lives where they were utterly forsaken and they were totally without any help or hope. They were cut off from everything. And God had to intervene to bring Jonah out of the belly of the fish. And God had to intervene because Jesus was dead to raise him from the dead. Number six, both were swallowed up by the command of God. The fish swallowed Jonah and the grave, death, swallowed Jesus, and God ordained it. It was part of God's plan. Wasn't circumstances that now God's got a counter move. God drew up the plans for Jonah to be swallowed by a fish, and he drew up the plans long before the foundation of the earth that the sun would be swallowed up by death. Sovereign hand of God in action. Number seven, Jonah was a preacher of repentance to the Ninevites. And Jesus came to preach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen to Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel. Repent. Jonah called people to repent. Jesus' sermons were repent and believe the gospel number eight if Jonah is not raised to life again what happens to the Ninevites they have no hope they have no messenger coming to them to tell them you need to repent for God's gonna deal with you in 40 days they have no hope and if Jesus does not come out of that grave on that third day that Sunday morning we have no hope None whatsoever. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 15, 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection is the biggest event in the history of history. It's bigger than Christmas. It's bigger than Good Friday and that cross moment. 
The resurrection is the pinnacle moment in the history of history. And if it hasn't happened, we are to be most pitied, and we're still in our sins. And if Jonah hadn't come up out of that fish, then the Ninevites would have no messenger to tell them to repent, and they would not be right with God. So there's just a quick eight points, and there are more. I said eight's enough. There are more points where we can see Jesus and Jonah in either absolute contrast to one another or absolute parallel comparison to one another. And I thought that would be good for us to to look at for a moment. So now let's go to verse 41. Jesus says this, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus here is contrasting the Pharisees, who are Israelites through and through, Hebrews of Hebrews, Jews of Jews, God's chosen people. He's contrasting them with these Gentiles, these evil Ninevites, who were so evil that the evilness of them came up before the Lord. And he actually says to them, those Gentiles, those dirty, rotten Ninevites repented. And at the judgment day, they're going to bring, they're going to be standing with judgment with this generation that's demanding a sign, this evil generation that's demanding a sign. So here's one thing I want to do. We're not going to go into this, but I want you to, to make note of this. There is a certain resurrection from the dead that will happen one day. It is certain. You can write it down. And I'd like for you on your own to go read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. And you will read details about the resurrection of the dead. And I also want you to read the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 if you want to see what God says about this resurrection from the dead and how Christ fits into it and how you and I fit into it. Those would be two great passages to spend 30 minutes on on a Sunday afternoon. The second thing is there is a certain judgment day coming it's certain and for that I would like for you to read Matthew 25 31 through 46 that'd be a good I don't know if you want to do it this afternoon or sometime during the week but why don't you just devote yourselves this this in the next few days to look at this certain resurrection from the dead and this certain judgment day coming so 1 Thessalonians 4 13 through 18 and 1 Corinthians 15 for the resurrection of the dead And then this judgment day, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Let's devote our time, though, this morning to this phrase that Jesus said that we cannot overlook. He says, behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We need to understand that. We we need to walk away from here getting that. Jonah was a lesser spokesman for God than Jesus. Jesus is a greater spokesman spokesman for God. In fact, I tell you, he is the ultimate spokesman for God. And right here, we have to plug in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Jonah. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Something greater than Jonah is here. And his name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus is God's ultimate speech. He's the Word of God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. He is God's speech. 
And in these last days, God has spoken by him and him alone, and nothing will be better than the communication that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. So Nineveh repented at this lesser spokesman of God. They repented for a generation. But if you look into the history, you go to the book of Nahum, later on down in the Old Testament, another minor prophet, Nahum prophesies against Nineveh in Assyria, and they are actually used by God to punish Israel. God saves Nineveh, and he saves them so that they can be an instrument in his hand to throttle the Israelites who are obstinate and defiant and stiff-necked and will not obey God. And then when God's done using Nineveh and Assyria, he wipes them off the face of the earth, and you can't find any remnants of Nineveh today, hardly. So it's funny, in a, in a not a comical way, it's tragic, it's funny in a tragic way, that God would raise up Nineveh to be used against Israel to discipline an obstinate nation. And so now you watch how God disciplines Jonah so that he can get Nineveh right, so that Nineveh can discipline Israel. <laughs> God is sovereign. And he's working all kinds of things together at the same time for incredible events in his plan. When we repent at the preaching of repentance by this one that is greater than Jonah, when we repent at the preaching of Christ, we are kept by Christ for all of eternity. Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, but Nineveh still fell a generation or two later. When we repent at the preaching of this one who is greater than Jonah, and we are authentically saved by him, we have promises in God's communication to us, the Bible, that say we can never be snatched out of his grip. Nineveh slipped generations later, but for all of eternity, when we're saved by the preaching of Christ who calls us to repent, we're saved forever, if we're authentically saved. You see people that proclaim to be a Christian that just fall off the wagon and totally deny Christ later on in life? And I say to you, they were never authentically saved. Because no one can be snatched out of the grip of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So we see evidence that that salvation they proclaimed was not true. Okay? And so the preaching, the one that's greater than Jonah, the sermons that he preaches, when we believe them, they have eternal effects and eternal benefits and we see that Jesus being greater than Jonah we see that theme in the entire book of Hebrews Jesus is greater than the angels Jesus is greater than Moses Jesus is greater than the high priest Jesus is the ultimate and greatest sacrifice we see that language all throughout the book of Hebrews and we get a taste of it here in Matthew 12 so in conclusion how do we apply all this here's what we learn from Jonah and from Jesus. We are great sinners. We're, we're good at it. We come by it naturally, and it's tragic. We are great sinners, very effective sinners. But God is an even greater Savior. That's what we learn in Jonah. When we say, what is Jonah like? Yeah, well, Jonah's a great sinner. Well, what does that do for us? Nothing. But when we look at Jonah and see that God is a great Savior, that does something for us. That's encouraging, that's informing, and that is life-changing. 
And I would urge you as a person here in this room today to pray to God. I am a great sinner, Father. But would you show me how great a Savior you are and would you save me in spite of where I am in relation to you right now? Would you turn me and draw me back to you and give me eternal life in the name of Jesus Christ? Because Jonah tells us that God does that. He is people-oriented. He is not merely task-oriented. And he is all about bringing you into a right relationship with him. I've been praying all week that this moment this morning would be used by God to do that in your life. And I will continue to pray so. So we are great sinners, but God is an even greater saver. God's capacity to save us is greater than our capacity to sin. That's the best news ever, man. That's, that's worth coming and hearing. No matter what we do, God can still save us. Look at the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul. If anybody can turn Paul around, then I think we can be turned around as well. We can't be, go beyond the grasp of God, and we will never fully grasp God's salvation for us if we never fully grasp how sinful we really are. We need to understand that. We need to understand that. There are finally three truths that we get from the book of Jonah. Number one, as I've just said, we see clearly in this mirror that Jonah is our sinfulness. And these three truths come through all the way to Jesus Christ. Watch this. Jonah and you and me are great sinners. But Jesus bore the wrath of God for all of those sins on the cross. Okay? We're transitioning here to the Lord's table now. where We're going to partake of the supper. And this is about the cross. So let's focus now on what this cross of Christ is and how it relates to the book of Jonah. We are great sinners. And all of our sin was dealt with by one Jesus Christ on the cross and if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we will be saved and so God laid his wrath on Jesus on the cross for the sins of the world and those who would believe in him number two we see God's amazing grace in the book of Jonah and we see it also on the Christ on the cross the cross of Christ Christ was perfectly perfectly innocent and sinless and yet he bore the wrath of God and died as a substitute in our place. That's amazing grace, that one would die for one like me. That's amazing grace. Number three, we see that God has a sovereign mission in the book of Jonah, and on the cross of Christ, God also has a sovereign mission. God breaks the chains of sin and paves the way for new birth and new creation on the cross of Christ. So you see Jonah, and you see the cross of Christ, and you see how there's one greater than Jonah here in our Savior Jesus Christ. I hope you see that. And I hope you go to the Bible, and you do, every time you approach the Bible, you say, God, show me who you are, show me who your son is, and show me how he is greater than anything else that I'm reading in this Old Testament. That would be a way to approach the Bible, for sure. Now as we go to the Lord's Supper, I would ask that you would prepare your hearts to grasp your sinfulness, God's grace, and God's mission, and that you would partake of this meal in a worshipful way, a way that honors him and acknowledges to him what has happened in your life should you be a believer, and I'll speak more to that in a moment. For now, let's pray. and.